Hi everyone, I'm Pankaj Mishra and you are listening to the Outliers podcast. It's a podcast, a series of conversations with outliers. I'm really thrilled uh, to be having this conversation with an outlier who I started looking at a few years ago. And I'll tell you more about it, but uh, I am with Dhruv Rati. Uh, welcome, Dhruv, to the podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Pankaj, for having me here. So, uh, I'll tell you, Dhruv, you know, the first time I I heard about you, it was, I think I was in one of my assignments uh, in Economic Times. And, uh, you know, there was something very complex that you explained Uh much later, actually, I looked at your demonetization videos and so mm-hmm. on. And one of the young uh, colleagues in the newsroom uh, who had joined us, uh, he was like, you know, you none of us know how to do news. Actually, you should look at how this guy does. And then that's when I looked at it. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing for many reasons. I haven't been to a journalism school myself, but the clarity, uh, you know, the brutally honest uh, nature uh, of explanations and all mm-hmm. that was definitely something and and i always thought you are an outlier and <laughs> so excited that we are having a conversation <laughs> with you as an outlier today so, so if i may ask which was the video that you show, saw first so i, I it was around demonetization actually okay so, so fairly recent in that sense but uh, i also remember uh, i think it was something to do with banking crisis uh, or, or or banks. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't have that exactly in my memory. I see. I think I, I know which one you mean. It's, okay. it's hard to know for me because, uh, you know, I try different ex- experiments with videos often to see which ones people appreciate the most and which ones people <laughs> like the most. <laughs> I think the most, uh, the more complex things are, uh, you know, it kind of lives in your memory you know and and especially when someone explains it beautifully so mm-hmm. yeah that yeah i think i i would say that's the basic concept behind my videos that uh, the the objective is to basically break down complex thing into simple words for the person to understand an average person who doesn't know anything about the subject he can understand that so let's uh, let's start from the start, Dhruv. Uh, sure, sure. Can you take me uh, through growing up and can you talk a little bit about things that you uh, remember the most and, and, and stuff that you believe uh, have shaped you, uh, who you are today? <laughs> that, that's a very difficult question, actually, to answer because I, I don't really reflect back that much on the past and think about the things that have influenced me or made me who I am. It's more like things which in the present that I'm focused on most of the times. So, but but if you ask anything specific regarding the past, maybe I can answer that. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, can you give a sense of who you are, Dhruv? It, and, and I'm trying to understand where you come from. Uh, how was growing up for you? Uh, I know you are still young, right? I would say it's it was a normal urban middle class household that I grew up in. It's nothing 
special in that sense there's no big story behind it <laughs> <laughs> and i was born in haryana mm-hmm. and i grew up there also and until the age of 17 till i did my high school i moved to germany for doing my bachelor's and i did there my bachelor's in mechanical engineering and then i did my masters in renewable energy and then i'm doing another bachelor's in economics and political science <laughs> that's uh, enough context absolutely <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing that really uh, you know uh, i mean about you especially from outside is mm-hmm. is almost like uh, you being a kind of a truth uh, crusader and then trying to explain things in that sense right mm-hmm. uh, when do you think you started developing this uh, interest or passion for explaining things how did this all start what are the seeds of what's happening today i mean regarding the issues happening in the country and worldwide those things i started becoming interested in around 2011-12 when the anti-corruption movement started by mm-hmm. Anna Hazare. That's, I think that was the movement, I would say, that influenced me into becoming interested in these things, what I make videos out of today. Mm-hmm. And yeah, basically that was it. And when, when you started doing your first set of videos, mm-hmm. you know how did you go about it what were some of the building blocks in terms of picking a topic or issue or uh, you know producing it you know how how was that initially it was completely something out of my personal passion you can say that topics which i felt very passionate about topics which i felt like there needed to be something that needs to be spoken about that's what i made my videos on it was only over time that i uh, you can say like i improved the content i was making i saw what people were receiving and the things that people wanted different and how i should improve myself that it slowly got better and better and i slowly became better at explaining things and making basically making the content that i make today for example uh, how i changed my content uh, as an example of that Mm-hmm. a big change happened during the time when people complained that i'm not really giving unbiased news i'm basically saying my opinion a lot so it's not factual news so at some point i realized that it's better for me to separate my opinions from facts and then show it to people so from some point onward at that point i decided that whenever i say opinion in my video on the video itself it should say hashtag #opinion at the top right corner so people can easily differentiate that okay now it's his opinion and the rest of the video is facts that he's talking about and so things like these minor tweaks here and there over time i developed and realized and learned from no this is uh, this is really amazing uh, throop and like i said i haven't been to a journalism school i have learned from people who I really admire in the profession same here actually I, i've never been to a journalism school and these things i only realized after experimenting with them and through trial and error basically one of the things i have also noticed is 
in the business of information or facts or news or whatever you call it mm-hmm. uh, there is an extreme left and extreme right right mm-hmm. and the, the kind of balance that you are talking about in terms of getting feedback and all that how do you how do you stay in the middle as uh, you know focused on fact i mean is it is it tempting to shift to one of the polls in that sense because that is what we are seeing it's not just in business of media but all around in society yeah, that's, that's true that it's very easy to lean to one side if you are not conscious about it and how i try to avoid it is basically i see the both the extreme right and both the extreme left perspective and then i realize the facts myself if it makes sense or not like for if for example a certain incident happens for the jnu incident i see what the left side is talking about regarding that incident what are their points what are their uh uh you can say how are they perceiving the situations what aspects of the situation they're talking about in the jnu uh, incident for example and then i see the right side and what aspects they are talking about and what are their arguments and based on that i can often if i look carefully i can often uh, understand what's the arguments from both sides and what each side is focusing on and what are some things which are been accepted by both sides and what are some things which have been rejected by both sides so in my video i would normally say okay this is what the left side is saying this is what the right side is saying and then this is something that both sides agree to and this is what probably happened and in the end this is my opinion of who's right and who's wrong really interesting and when you pick a topic or an issue that matters to you mm-hmm. how do you go about learning more about it how do you go about building a perspective and understanding about it uh what goes uh, behind uh, uh, you know uh, learning about it before you actually uh, come up with uh, a video so since i'm the second source i'm not really the primary source of news myself i i try to look into every single newspaper publication that has published news about it and what have they said about it and not only the newspapers but also what uh, prominent people on social media are saying about it what are their opinions on that that way i can have a general idea of what the whole perception of everyone in india around that issue is yeah no no that sounds absolutely right but mm-hmm. when you, <clears throat> when you produce a video on a particular topic uh, there is a lot of engagement uh, when it comes to your videos right and we will talk about it more but uh, even when you are touching upon a topic or an issue which is already analyzed over and over by so many platforms mm-hmm. and media you mm-hmm. still manage to get very deep engagement with your viewers and listeners mm-hmm. uh, from what you understand <clears throat> over the years through how, how do you think is that happening you know what, what is that uh, at the core in terms of your <laughs> kitchen in that sense right yeah yeah i i think it's it's firstly it's the way i'm saying it it's in simple words i'm not using a lot of complex jargon which is uh not understandable for the common person so first reason is simplicity and the second reason is conciseness and preciseness which is that i'm trying to compress the 
amount of information is to add into as little of time as possible i'm not trying to extend it and that's what's uh, that's what dip- differentiates me from other news channels i think news channels normally have to fill in that one hour on a particular topic while me i have the freedom to really make any length i want basically if i think that this video can be this topic can be explained very well in 10 minutes then i can make the video in 10 minutes if i think it needs 20 minutes then i can make it in 20 minutes but basically i try to minimize the amount of time i'm spending on a certain topic and not saying anything too extra that is required well and that that sounds about right bro uh, and actually <laughs> that sounds very sane as well <laughs> <laughs> you know like you said uh, some of these things are so simple uh, yeah. to understand and practice mm-hmm. yeah that's that's basically it it's basically i'm trying to simplify as much as possible and to summarize as much as possible in the shortest amount of time now where this backfires is actually when i'm asked to write an article about something which needs to be at least 700 words or i'm asked to make a video about something but I have to speak my mind out <laughs> and now that's one thing i'm not really good at because over the years i've been trying to simplify and making things as small as possible so i'm really bad at writing my mind out and expressing myself for a long amount of time because <laughs> normally <laughs> i only say the things that are needed and never blabbering too much on something <laughs> you know you know how opinion articles are on newspapers normally they pick up a specific issue but and they write long texts on it i'm really bad at that <laughs> uh, one of the other things through which is uh, which applies to anyone who is in the business of <clears throat> or who is producing things on platforms mm-hmm. is this issue of fatigue <clears throat> and yeah. it is a it is a very broad question mm-hmm. but you know how do you fight fatigue how do you keep this engine ticking in that sense right what 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 what's the food for this for you that that keeps you uh, you know doing this again and again how do you stay sane and how do you fight the fatigue i think the most important aspect is that i'm choosing the topics which i like to cover that's why fatigue happens i mean i do get tired of it sometimes i do feel pressurized and stressed about some topics i feel that i have to do this there is a certain schedule that has to be kept up i have to release a video every week of course that is there but in that process when i choose the topics for my videos i always try to choose something which i really feel like speaking about and just that choice i think gives me the opportunity to not be fatigued from it it never feels like a chore to me but are there weeks uh, if you were to look back across mm-hmm. all, all the weeks you have been doing it are there weeks when you feel like it is it is it can be a drag in that sense and how do you fight it how do you get out of it if at all yeah i do think there has been some times where i felt like that but it's it's not that difficult for me because i'm not forced to come on prime time every night or something so it's just <laughs> just the promise of one video a week is i keep to myself and i feel like it's just one two days in a week maximum three days i spend on a topic so of course i can afford to spend three days on this and there's the remaining four days are obviously free for 
relaxing and chilling out a bit dhruv if you were to hand pick uh, issues or or particular videos uh, mm-hmm. from all these uh, years or or you know mm-hmm. uh, the the period that you have been doing these mm-hmm. uh, what have been uh, some of the most fulfilling ones in that sense or uh, you know what have been the most surprising ones in terms of mm-hmm. the kind of reaction you you've got uh, if you were to pick one or two of them and talk a little about it mm-hmm. it would help us understand you better i think the most enjoyable videos for me are where i actually go on ground and make something uh, of a ground report like uh, there are two examples which i have in mind where i once went went in amsterdam and made a video on how the cycling there works how the cycling infrastructure has been designed and how they have converted the whole city into a hub for cyclists and how we can take inspiration from that these videos are the most enjoyable for me because i'm actually there interacting on the ground filming in different styles trying to think of new things although they take a lot lot more time than videos sitting at home in front of a green screen uh, another example of this video was where i went in greece in athens and i made a video on the greek economic crisis from there yeah this i feel like i learned so many new things by going there and researching about these things and just the fact that i'm there and that that people see those new countries it gives such a new perspective for people especially for people who have never left their uh, the country and don't know how things work in other uh, other countries i think it opens up minds of people into seeing how the rest of the world is what are their aspirations how things work there what can we learn from them what are the mistakes they are making it's very it broadens your mind so much and there's the most fulfilling videos and talking about what surprises me the most is when i make videos on controversies i know that making a video on a controversy or a gossipy issue will always get me the most views it's something uh it's the truth you know it's you know that it happens but it's something so weird in a way like the recent tiktok versus youtube that was such a gossip topic that everyone was talking about and it just surprises me that how much people care about controversies and gossips <laughs> <laughs> you are you are so true <laughs> the, the the thing with uh, what you're talking about is that also the the algorithms you know uh, youtube or most of the social platforms hmm. they are kind of designed uh, people say <laughs> to serve this whole psychological need of producers yeah. uh, you know to to feel uh, okay you know there's so much of engagement you know mm-hmm. simple things uh, like okay how many views how many comments or all those things are almost built towards creating this uh, sense of fulfillment in that sense based yeah, on yeah you know, yeah i would not blame the the social media algorithms because they're basically designed around human emotions what whatever we as humans like to see more they they respond to that and it's it's just a fact in today's world or it was 
in forever since throughout the history maybe that people in general do like to see controversies people do love to see gossip <laughs> that's why reality tv is watched by so many people across the world and these things are so common it's i i've just accepted that it's it's the a psychological law or something that people would love controversies let's talk a little about platforms through because mm-hmm. around us uh, mm-hmm. every once in a while for example you know even if you look at a tiktok in that sense right mm-hmm. or or facebook and and so on what do you think is uh, where, where does the buck stop when it comes to the platforms and how much can we as society blame the platforms for uh, you know things that take birth on these platforms or shape and i'm talking about everything from fake news to uh, trolling to cyber abuse and then so on right i know it's a very broad question but but someone who is closely watching uh, platforms i thought i should ask this yeah i think there is some part that platforms do play but for the majority of, of it it's the people themselves to be blamed or rather let's say it's 60 40 60% people and 40% the platform itself because platforms do make a difference if if it's something like youtube i feel like youtube has very clearly defined guidelines of what's right and what's wrong although there's a uh you can interpret them in different ways but i still feel that compared to other platforms it's relatively very clearly defined of what's acceptable and what's not what are we going to promote and what what things we are not going to promote on the platform but regarding other platforms i feel like especially facebook is one of the worst in these regards that they they just their algorithms are completely designed on engagement and the worst of the worst like they hardly filter out anything which which i think is is not good that's right and and even some of the newer platforms that that come by uh, for them uh, again the focus is on how can you generate the views exactly yeah i think i think that's why platforms do shape themselves in a way which gives them the most amount of attention which brings the, uh, the most amount of viewers from other platforms basically but if if you if you look at them deeper through don't you think that's how humans and societies are as well in in that sense uh, mm-hmm. you know or do you think it is something artificial no no i think that's they're exactly a reflection of the society basically there's nothing wrong in saying that as I, as i told you about the controversial and controversial and gossip type of videos which perform well i think even in real life people like gossip <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean for me this has been one of the very fascinating things to to learn and then get surprised about in that sense that uh, it, we are trying to mimic human mind and and mm. everything of an artificial intelligence and and those things are exactly trying to do that mm. Mm. Uh, so the ills uh, and the good of the society uh, are all going to reflect themselves in algorithms and and exactly yeah yeah no doubt about that it's just whatever yeah as you said so so then are we overthinking when we are saying that 
okay, this is this should be good or this should be, you know, this is how it should be in in that sense, right? Are are, are we are we trying to play with the, uh, you know, the laws of the nature in that sense? If I were to stretch, I think there is nothing wrong in correcting that, improving them, or striving towards perfection. But at the same time, we have to accept the reality, but should try to keep improving them. We we cannot just say, you know, it's human nature that uh, these kind of videos get popular or something like that. That's just a way to ignore ignore that. I think. Hmm. Yeah. You talked about uh, controversies, and you talked about uh, you know the topics that you you know mm-hmm. tackle in, in that sense. Uh, one of the things I have also noticed, Dhruv, uh, is that there is a lot of trolling. <laughs> there is a lot of name calling, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, this is again a question uh, because you know I get trolled for not being uh, that Pankaj Mishra. I mean, for you know, people think I'm that Pankaj Mishra. You know who is, and and I get trolled a lot, and it is like very minuscule. But I I wonder, you know, with all of that. How do you stay sane, or are there scars? Uh, how does it affect you, uh, if at all? How do you cope with that? I would say it was something as a surprise in the beginning, but over time I've got used to it. I just have got used to filtering out the the relevant and uh, relevant criticism from trolling, and trolling I just ignore, and <laughs> yeah. It's it's just about something that you have to get used to it. I think. Can you illustrate this better through, like you know, show don't tell in that sense, right? Uh, what is relevant criticism for you, and and what is trolling? Basically, wherever I feel that, first of all, every time there is an abuse without context, I ignore that because it literally means nothing to me. If you're abusing me on something, which has no head or tails it doesn't mean anything and secondly if if you do have some criticism regarding my work or you point out some fault in me which i should be improving upon i think that's relevant criticism that it's it's not that hard to differentiate criticism from trolling i think it's important what you say because i think your lessons in managing criticism Mm-hmm. Are, are very important uh, because of the topics that you deal with. So, yeah. how does your mental, you know, engine work uh, mm-hmm. to to dif- to make this differentiation? Actually, that's why I asked. And mm-hmm. you, think, okay. you think it is getting better, or or were there uh, experiments early? You know, like you know, you you're talking about on the videos as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So, how, how do you train your your mind in that sense to, mm-hmm. you know? make this distinction yeah i i think uh initially i wasn't sure of how to deal with it but over time i realized that the best way is to just block all kinds of abuses from your channel and the cuss words and once you do that i think it's it's uh most of what remains is genuine criticism and uh are there instances, uh, Dhruv, when when you felt that? Uh, how, how do you keep emotions out of this fact-finding mission in that sense, right? Because this is another issue, and it's not just 
to do with media even as society and human beings mm-hmm. sometimes what's happening around us can overwhelm us so yeah. our ability to stay sane and mm-hmm. focus fact finding mission mm-hmm. is is a challenge so how do you do that i mean are there events that are so overwhelming that mm-hmm. you you can't be stay sane i mean how do you cope with things like that i think it- initially it was like that once again but uh, there were many overwhelming ev- uh, events where i felt initially and where i almost ranted in videos but once again over time i i got more you can say resilient to all that emotion uh, and not taking it personally when all these things are happening and not making it an emotional deal out of it i think nowadays i i i would say it, it can be bad or good but i'm not that uh, emotional about international or national events when they happen i i, I am subconsciously subconsciously already separating the facts out of emotions that's quite a thing actually because mm-hmm. <clears throat> i feel like all of us are on that journey in that sense yeah because it's it's something in a way it's good in a way it's bad also because when something really bad happens you don't feel that bad about it <laughs> so yeah you know what i mean yeah actually you can be called insensitive you know any of yeah, us exactly <laughs> and and the definition of sensitivity of course can mm-hmm. vary yeah. let's talk about the broader context uh, the world that we are living in today dhru mm-hmm. our our ability to question mm-hmm. uh, is 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 becoming uh, tougher day by day uh, and that's not just media i'm talking about even in general well and it's also not just one one regime in that sense but mm-hmm. it it's a, it seems to be a global phenomenon for some reason right? yeah as as someone young uh, like you and as someone who i i feel like you are a crusader in that sense on a fact finding mission mm-hmm. how how do you describe living in a world like this what gives you hope or are you like eternally pessimistic about everything around you <laughs> no i th- i'm actually very i'm more of a positive thinker i would say <laughs> and optimistic about situations and i think that this is just a temporary phase that we are passing from it's a backlash of the globalization which happened in the past 20 years eventually everyone will have to accept it whether they like it or not because the 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 way the world is interconnected right now it's just not possible to be just not possible to silence people especially because of the internet i think there's just way too many ways to speak up yes there will be challenges in the future there will be some setbacks but on the whole i think the world will move in a positive direction regarding this that's nice nice to hear and i i can see what you are saying as well uh, right it's because i think it's it's so interconnected that if something happens in one part of the world and some citizens of that country there obviously not everyone is living in that country they can report on that internationally and then the government loses control outside its own boundaries it we see it happening with china we see it happening with all these authoritarian countries what is outcome 
for you, Dhruv. And I'm asking that question, mm-hmm. like in everything that we do, uh, whether we are a journalist or in any other job or any other passion or profession, mm-hmm. what is that sense of outcome? When you talk about something, uh, mm-hmm. what, is, what is an outcome for you? Uh, forget good or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how? I mean, I, I, I hope I'm asking, you know, am, am I making sense when I'm asking that question? Outcome in what sense? So, for example, uh, uh, you know, for, for me, for example, when I write on a story that matters, outcome would be perhaps to create awareness or mm-hmm. create an impact in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. So, so how, what is outcome for you uh, when you produce these videos or, or talk about these topics? I would say the outcome is to educate people, basically, make them informed. And... Uh, Dhruv, we were talking about the world that we are living in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, from where you sit and, and watch the world around you, if you were to handpick some of the core ideas that you believe are shaping the future of the world mm-hmm. and the ones that will matter the most, mm-hmm. what would be some of those core building blocks as you see today that will shape the next decade or, or more? Just ideologies in general or principles? What do you mean? Maybe both of them. If, if the world that we are living in today, uh, for example, you talked about how it is still easy for people to mm. share mm. Uh, and, and create awareness, no matter, because internet allows you to do that in that sense, mm. right? Mm. What are some of those core ideas and principles, both, based on which you see the world shaping going forward? I think one of the core ideas would be liberalism and globalization. Basically, having everyone having access to all kinds of things from different parts of the world and everyone being allowed to have liberty and their own freedom, not only regarding speech, but also in different aspects. I think this is something that almost every country's citizens are aspiring for and it will eventually be reached at some point. Also because the fact that the world is so interconnected and interdependent on each other. If, if something happens in one part of the world, uh, it's, it's just, it will influence the other part of the world also. Like if something bad happens in China, for example, uh, the manufacturing sector for the rest of the world will be affected. So it's basically everyone will have to think internationally. That's... I think that's going to be the thing as we go on in the future. And and Dhruv, one of the things that has happened in this pandemic, uh, which is ongoing still, is that it's kind of, you know, is showing us the divides, the societal divides, uh, mm-hmm. at least in a country uh, like India where, where I'm living in, mm-hmm. in a very ugly way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like the, the gaps are showing within society and they are perhaps even widening or deepening in that sense right mm-hmm. yeah how, how do we heal right how how do we heal or or everything that we are discussing about internet and, and other things mm-hmm. they don't apply to most of the society in the same way how do we heal where do we go from here i think it's changing slowly it's the internet is making uh, the you can say bringing more equality in people just a few years ago 
people from rural rural areas and lower classes didn't really have access to internet and smartphones but i think it's changing now they are getting all of that so slowly it will improve but obviously it will need more conscious decisions and actions from the government and the people themselves like for the government they should focus on more underdeveloped regions and lifting up the villages and the people themselves should focus on trying not to discriminate against other people hmm. i think that's going to be the biggest battle for the internet in that sense right how can you ensure that it doesn't weaken the weak and mm-hmm. empower the, the strongest force uh, mm-hmm. right how can how do you think it can weaken the weak i feel like right now it's just liberating people what i meant uh, is i mean if, if you look at if you look at uh, things like uh, just earlier today i was uh, i was moving houses and uh, you know i had to get some things done so we hired a vendor and this guy uh, didn't have an app on his phone because mm-hmm. he's not carrying one of those phones uh, you know where he can download the app uh, mm-hmm. which shows basically he's coming from a safe zone in that mm-hmm. sense now what i mean weak, weakening the weak is is more about the, this access mm-hmm. where it kind of becomes uh, preferential in that sense right not everybody can afford many of these things mm-hmm. so so it means basically denial of livelihood in in some sense in, in mm-hmm. you know which is what happened earlier today because mm-hmm. this person couldn't do the job because he was not uh, he didn't have uh, that app on his phone he didn't have a phone which can run that app in that sense right? which which app do you mean here this is the arogya setu app right Achha. which is uh-huh. yeah. so and that's what i'm talking about and I'm, i'm not questioning the good uh, that it brings in that sense right mm-hmm. i'm i'm not saying that but what i mean is when i say weakening the weak is things like these right Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically also, a digital divide that people who do not have access to all these devices or internet are being left off from the society yes that is what i mean and also in terms of opportunities for them mhm yeah that's that's definitely true i mean it is happening and we must think of ways to counter it what what do you think are possible ways uh dhruv uh, i'm sorry i'm really forcing you to speak no, no, no. that's good because i don't as i said you know in the beginning i said i i don't speak much unless you <laughs> ask me specific questions <laughs> i'm very so much of a guy who just answers in the shortest amount of words as possible <laughs> <laughs> then it's quite an achievement for me we are at 40 minutes <laughs> so so yeah. how do you think we can do that how do you think we can we can tackle this divide that we are talking about it's a, a very detailed question i would say it needs some thinking about i've never really thought about this but from the top of my mind what comes is probably uh giving them access to cheap smartphones might be a way i mean on a more final note uh, mm-hmm. i said we are already at 40 minutes mm-hmm. that uh if you were to pick some of the life lessons mm-hmm. uh, in what you are doing uh, that some of us can perhaps think about or apply in that sense you you have a great following as well right mm-hmm. uh what would be some of the key life lessons for you in that sense 
to give to everyone or just for myself what i learned i think yeah why don't we talk about what you learned uh, and some of the big lessons that you learned i would say it's uh, critical thinking is one of the most important aspects of life it really helps you in all regards just simply questioning yourself about the things you hear or the things you say you propose and the statements you make the statements you hear just just question yourself and think about them once see them from different perspectives and see if they make sense or not and what are the consequences of that just just think from all angles and basically just think <laughs> it makes a big difference again uh, something very simple but uh, i think often uh, ignored in that sense yeah mm-hmm. and the uh, the other thing is uh, the way you look at career or livelihood in that sense right yeah uh, clearly you are doing this but we are also talking about future of jobs and how will the world be in the years to come uh, any particular thoughts you have in the way you see your life and career shaping through i feel personally about me it's very hard to say because i don't know whether youtube will still exist 20 years from now or not and how i will change myself i just have to say that people must be adaptive always uh, adapting to the environment uh, the changes around them and being flexible and that would be the future of jobs it's it won't be as traditional and as stable as it has been in the past i think because because of the rapid technological progress that is happening and the constant changes that are happening in society in every field and every aspect it will keep changing a lot there will be jobs that will be lost there will be new jobs that will be created which no one would have ever thought of and so people must keep up with all that it's not that easy to do that because the previous generation did not how do you learn new things through again very open question mm-hmm. but i'm trying to understand uh, what is your learning engine like how do you learn new things it's it's basically curiosity i would say just observe different things around you and try to think how they work why they work like that how does it function how does stuff work and why it is like that basically all these things final final thing yeah is is there a science fiction view mm-hmm. of what you are doing today mm-hmm. uh, you know i mean i'm not necessarily saying black mirror kind of thing yeah. but uh, you know this is something i always ask everyone i talk to uh-huh. you know what is your science fiction view of things that you do today science fiction view i i don't see any science fiction in in my thing i mean there is science of course but there there doesn't seem to be any fiction because it's very rooted in reality i think what i meant basically is you talked about for example whether youtube will be around 20 years down or yeah. not yeah we don't know mm. uh, what kind of a new platform will be around on mm-hmm. which you need to perhaps keep doing the same thing that you are doing today yeah uh, you know i can talk of maybe telepathy in that sense i don't know right <laughs> so what is that wildest imagination you have of how things will be 
you know as a kid i i used to have these crazy ideas about how the future would look like but i have to say i've been very disappointed because all the stories and all the fiction books i read as a kid they just you know how do you say it they just offered me something which was never going to be true it was just so far from reality that it never actually happened i honestly thought there would be hovercrafts or flying cars in 2020 back in 1990s as a kid because it just seemed like that but the world is no not that different today <laughs> so <laughs> if i predict for the future i i have to say it will be a bit underwhelming even 50 years from now might not look that different from today yes there might be some small technological increases maybe the the laptop that you're using becomes a bit more fluent in the way you uh, use gestures and you communicate with it but i honestly i, I do not think it will be that different <laughs> very well said because i felt the same you know? <laughs> i'm 40 plus <laughs> yeah <laughs> are, are you also underwhelmed by it absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i think this is this will go on for generations i it, it i feel like exactly i think i also i would say that this uh, the era from maybe when you were a kid that was the time when there was a rapid technological progress happening maybe after the world wars i would say and after since then it has kind of slowed down a bit i feel maybe because wars kind of make uh, people innovate more or strive for innovation actually now that you say it it is so true lot of today's great inventions yeah come those uh, warring times right right yeah even i think that and see, ever since then it has basically been a few incremental changes here and there not something that rapid or innovative except the smartphone i cannot think of something that life changing that was invented and we are all blaming apple for not inventing enough anymore right yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> wow great so this is this is a really good note to sign off through i mean it's <laughs> pleasure talking to you and uh, i am here same yeah, here amazing so please stay safe and stay sane i must say <laughs> thanks a lot thanks a lot thanks through